Welcome to BitFaced. We've got two very special guests in the BitCave tonight. If you've ever watched the AMC show Comic Book Men, you're going to recognize these guys. It's a show that I thought could have ran forever. I've probably watched every episode five times, and I was very sad that it's no longer on the air. But we have two of the Comic Book Men here with us tonight, Mike Zapsik and Ming Chen, joining us on BitFaced. Also, a special co-host with me tonight, the guy that made all of this happen for me as a Christmas present today. He's been on the show before, you'll remember him, but tonight he's co-hosting with me, my good buddy, Aiden Clark. Mike, Ming, welcome to BitFace. We're so glad to have you here. Thank you so much, guys. Yeah, thank you. It's an, it's an honor and a privilege, and we love you guys. Well, we, we love you guys and we really love the show and we were really sad that there's no longer more comic book men because we go back and watch the episodes over and over and over again. I, I like a show like Pawn Stars, but Comic Book Men was interesting for me, not only because the things you guys took in on the show were things that I collect and I'm interested in, but I also thought the banter between you guys was wonderful. Can you talk to us a little bit about some of your favorite moments from the show? Um, first of all, thank you for loving and watching the show. So you think you're disappointed? I get made fun of by Brian Johnson and I don't even get paid for it anymore. So <laughs> that part sucks. Um, favorite moments. Uh, I think uh, we we talked about this a couple weeks ago when uh, I met you at Fan Expo Denver. Um, but the USS flag definitely uh, was one of my favorites. Um, I think uh, G.I. Joe is probably more popular now than maybe even back in 1983. Just um, uh, it's, I'm actually at I'm in New Orleans right now. I went to I'm at Fan Expo New Orleans. Um, yeah, I, I saw a G.I. Joe dealer. He says he can't he can't even keep his stuff in stock, really, because it's so popular now. But if you're any fan of G.I. Joe, the Holy Grail is 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 the USS flag aircraft carrier, the seven foot um, at one time, the biggest toy ever created. And, um, you know, I think, you know, the feeling, I don't know if you're as old as I am, but when that thing came out, uh, it was insane and I wanted it and it was also insanely expensive. So I never, I didn't get it as a kid, uh, cause it was truly a rich kid's toy. You needed a mansion with an extra room just to have it in there. Um, but, um, and yeah, I, yeah, I remember my mom flat out told me, he's like, you'll never own this thing like this. One. <laughs> my parents are, they're Asian. So they're very frugal. Like my mom tries to haggle at the grocery store, like at the A&P, tries to talk them down for like a pound of like a pound of broccoli. And uh, sometimes it works to her credit, but yeah, she wasn't buying me uh, a $100 toy in 1983. Like it might as well have been like a million dollars at that point. So, um, so it was cool that, that literally 30 years later after it came out, like I actually, it came in actually i actually got to buy it for myself and um yeah i mean geez man i mean stan lee definitely a favorite moment i mean that one that one's a given that was not even like a, that was not even a question but um yeah that would uh, then you know i have some of my not so proud moments uh the speedo was not not like a not so happy <laughs> moment um the uh getting married to mike as reed richards and sue storm um not my proudest moment uh wearing Dude. under wearing Talk for yourself, man. You're the reacher. I was the settler in that deal, all right? So just so yeah. you know, I can do much better than you, Ming. Not only that, but I think it is awesome that your mother said you will never, ever own that toy. She like, literally said that. 30 years later, she came over to your house, dragged it out to the curb and said, uh-uh, I told you, never going to have this toy and threw it out. Yeah, my mom's a harsh woman. My, you know, she likes the harsh lessons. But um, yeah, those are some of my favorite moments for sure. I, I mean, in the end, though, like I just love that I got to BS with my friends and they put it on TV. I mean, that's in the. I mean, geez, man, how many people get to do that? Like, not, 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 not many. But yeah, Mike, what were your favorite moments for me? Uh, meeting Adam West, meeting Stan, um, George Perez is a personal hero of mine, and given what he's going through right now, I think it's it's very uh, poignant that I have a, an original piece of George Perez art hanging in my living room that he gave. Um, the Batcopter was pretty damn awesome. <laughs> and, and getting to drive the Batmobile was amazing. Even though that damn thing drives like a parade float. <laughs> okay. It's got all the steering of a brick. <laughs> yeah, you know what did drive better though? The Black Beauty. We got to yeah. try the Black Beauty. I get I got to dress up like Cato, like Bruce Lee. Like that, yeah. that was definitely a huge moment for sure. 
Personally speaking, I think Ming, you should have floored it, and we should have just fucking burned rubber <laughs> and just been like, "Fuck you, Walton Adam." Yeah, yeah. So I should have been like Harrison Ford in American Graffiti, like dra- drag oh, race and flip the Black Beauty. Sure, yeah, I should have done that. Ended up in uh, like Danny's Steakhouse window. That would have been great. <laughs> For sure. But yeah, I mean, I mean, geez, I mean, favorite, but there are too many to count though, man. Like, you know, hanging out with the Bionic Woman, that was pretty awesome. Um, anyone from Star Wars, Peter Mayhew and and uh Billy D. Williams. Billy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, if if you would have told us as like, you know, I saw Star Wars when I was four. So if you would have told me as a four-year-old, like, hey, this is gonna sound really crazy, but one day Chewbacca and Lando Calrissian are gonna come down to the comic book store that you work at that is on TV on your TV show and you're going to have a lot of fun with them. Like, I'm, I'm like, yeah, <laughs> like get out of here, old man. And since you're it crazy. was, well, first off, you're kind of perving on yourself at a, as a four-year-old, number one, number yes. two, it was a new hope. And you're like, who the fuck is Lando Calrissian? Yeah, okay. Good point. Good point. So, <laughs> again, Lando, he's going to, you, you, he's coming a little bit sooner than, well, a little bit later than sooner, but you're going to hang out with him and he's going to be really cool. It's the cold 45 guy. <laughs> when you oh. guys interacted with the celebrities on the show, everything seemed super genuine. Mike, especially you, like you, I, I always, when I saw you, like when you met Stanley, you just look like you're coming from a place of respect. My question is though, how many times did you film you meeting Stan Lee? Did we get the first take when he walked in the door or did you guys have to do that multiple times? No, we did that two or three times. That was a that was our awful season. That was the season of the god-awful producers. Because when we did Comic Book Man first, the first season, it was um, our showrunners were Brian Nichelle, who was like the overview guy. He was like our director. And then there were uh, two segment producers, uh, Brian O'Toole and Jerry Carita. And they took care of like the day-to-day stuff. And then uh, season two, they brought in these new guys who were trying to, uh, they were essentially, they were, they were trying to redesign the wheel, you know, reinvent it. And it didn't need it. We went down to a half an hour format and it, everything was like a lot more streamlined. So we didn't have to worry about a lot of setup, but these guys, they were doing, they, they spent like two months of our filming time doing uh, OTFs, which is on the fly, which is like, Hey, what brings you to the golden silver pawn shop today? Those things, which Kevin would never use. And they were trying to get me, Ming and everybody else um, like on board for them. Like, Hey, tell Kevin that we really want to use these OTFs. And we're like, no, why, why, why would we go against the guy who put us on TV as opposed to you jackasses? So. Yeah. And I, so, to your point, I thought the interesting parts of the show were the interactions between you guys, of course, is the best part of the show. But then when someone would bring in something interesting and, um, you know, you guys would either be really excited about it or you'd really <laughs> shoot them down. Like, yeah, I know you're asking for, 10 grand but this is probably worth 500 dollars. yeah we take a we take a crap all over it and, and you know what i should have asked this before but how are you about cursing because i just dropped like 12 f-bombs and i'm so sorry i'm i usually ask before i start you know with my potty mouth you are totally fine i i want the raw mike zapsic today i don't oh, want well, anything oh my god well geez then you get what you pay for good yeah good. isn't this why we got into this so we wouldn't have to watch what we say great yes but i mean that's why we do our podcast man not why you know whenever we're on someone else's podcast we should kind of find out the ground rules oh oops it's common courtesy man oops my bad (laughs) my bad oh 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 fuck yeah oh so yeah you're right sorry go ahead (laughs) Oh, no, I mean, the celebrity, you know, the interactions, all, yeah, of course, it's genuine. I mean, I, I think we started, I don't think we had any celebrity guests the first season because, you know, because uh, just it was the first season. The second season, budgetary. Stanley was the big one. And then it kind of, yeah, it kind of got really awesome from there. And then we got like, you know, Adam West and um, like Ralph Macchio was definitely a Michelle highlight. Nichols. Yeah. Michelle Nichols. Um, like Jim Lee, like, you know, great comic book oh, yeah. uh, creators as well. Um, Benny O'Neill. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, there's there so many cool people. Like sometimes we forgot. I was like, oh crap! Like, holy crap! Like, yeah, that we had. Um, yeah, we had it's that method man, show. right? Yeah, we had method, method man. man. Yeah, we freaking method man. He was a yeah. fan of the show before he even came on. Yeah, did you say he called the store looking for he like a Hulk 181? Yeah, or something. No, no, he he had a Hulk 81, a 181. He uh, he was looking for the uh, that Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes, uh, Maddie Collector set that was behind. Actually, it was uh, on one of the the bookshelves. Yeah, um, and we had actually sold one of them, and uh, he called up. He's like, "I want one. I need one." And he he was calling me Mike. He's like, "Mike, this is Method Man." I'm like. Awesome. I said, are you really for the children? And he's like, shut the fuck up. Uh, give me that Legion of Superheroes. And I'm like, all right. Well, I said, I hate to tell you, it's it's not mine to sell. It's the, uh, the set design. And Ming just decided to leave. Son of a bitch. But yeah, hey, that was yours, right? Was that one yours? No, the, actually, the one that we sold. Remember, we sold it to that lady. Yeah, we can take my place as the um, the associate. Uh, that was mine, and I okay. sold that one. And then um, we had people who came and did like set design. Uh, Emilio, Emilio Fields—that's the gentleman's name—and hopefully he doesn't mind me throwing it out there. But he actually bought one uh, on AMC's behalf, so we would have one right there. And it was—it wasn't for sale; it was just for a set design. So I'm a huge Karate Kid fan. So the Ralph Macchio episode was one of my favorites. And I've met him before. He's a super nice guy. But I've always noticed in that episode, he seemed rather serious when he was interacting with you guys. Was he putting that on as just like a front or was he super fun behind the scenes? Um, no. I, I, he's, he's pretty serious. And um, I have a, I kind of have a story. So it was cool. He came in and uh, like he... I loved it because he, like, he taught me how to wax on, wax off properly. It was crazy. Like, he grabbed my hands and said, no, 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 you're doing it all wrong. It's like, wax on, wax off. Like, he was my my Mr. Miyagi. And we came up, I think we said on the show, he's like, no, we're going to call you Ming Miyagi from now on. I'm like, and he, when I when I see, I'll see him, like, once a year at a con, he's still called. He's like, yo, Ming Miyagi, what's up? I'm like, holy crap. Like, that was cool. Um, So the way, the thing, the thing I was told, like they wanted him on the show. So they reached out to his agent. They're like, hey, there's this show comic book band. They sent him, uh, you know, the, they sent him the synopsis of the TV show. He had never seen it before. And if you see the synopsis of comic book men on paper, kind of seems kind of lame. It's like, (laughs) all right, there's four nerds in a comic book shop, you know, buying, selling stuff. And I think he was kind of at the point where I was like, I don't really, you know, I don't really do stuff like this. But we had met at so many conventions. Someone was like, no, no, this is Ming Chen's show. He's like, holy shit, it's Ming's show. All right, I'll do it. That's what I was told. I don't, I, and if that's true, that's cool. But, and I want my producer credit for that. Because, um, yeah, if you, if you look, he doesn't really do a lot of outside stuff. Um, I yeah. think he did an episode of Entourage where he made fun of himself and a couple other things. So to have him come on was pretty, pretty cool. But, yeah, I think, I think he's, he's like, he's pretty, not intense, but he's a pretty serious guy. He is a pretty serious guy. And I remember him. He's like, um, really, you, you guys, you guys do this all the time, every day, no lines. You, you don't have like lines that you have to say. Cause yeah, where's your script? Like, like we don't have yeah, a script. what's going on with the script. And, and we're like, no, we have to make this stuff up in our heads. So. So he didn't mo- like that. He didn't <laughs> like it. Was most of the show unscripted then? Is it, is it just, oh. you know, kind of day in the life? All, all the show was unscripted. The oh. only thing that we did. Yeah, well, we needed to get to point C. We but we needed to go to point A and then to point B and then make it to point C. So that's that's pretty much all the direction we got was here's what I, what I need you to hit. You know, make sure that you talk this, 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 and this, and either make the sale or don't make the sale or you know, buy it or don't buy it. And that that's pretty much what it was. Everything was fairly genuine. If we came up with, with a price that, you know, the two of us could live with, that's, that's where we went. And sometimes people are like, I won't take a, a dime less than $500 for this. And, and we're like, well, it's $250. they are like, sold. Let's do it. You know, like, what? 
So yeah, it's it, some some days we were spending more money than we really wanted to. We're like, really, you want to you want to sell that? But hey, AMC. It was uh, a lot of it. We were playing with AMC's money. The first year was totally our money, and that's why you know we didn't buy a lot of stuff. Yeah, if you watch the first season, Walt does not buy anything. Very mm. like maybe once or twice, and that's because it was the store's money, a.k.a. Kevin's money, that he didn't want to lose. So he took it very seriously. He's like, I'm not going to, not even for the show, I'm not going to buy something that I can't sell later on. So uh, very rarely. And then I think the network had notes. They're like, why aren't these guys buying anything? It's like, well, they don't, they don't want to, it's a they, they, it's a business. They can't buy stuff that they don't want to lose money. So and in subsequent seasons, they're like, all right, we're going to give you a budget to buy stuff. So, so otherwise the show's not going to work if you guys don't buy anything yeah. it's going to be pretty boring so um but yeah i'm pretty pretty proud that yeah all the dialogue there's no script so all the all the jokes all that stuff you know it's definitely it's edited of course so you know it's edited good you know to to uh yeah just to to the good jokes and everything which is cool so um, but yeah, not to say that, yeah, so, you know, not to say there wasn't, you know, maybe some setup here and there, um, you know, did Nichelle Nichols just happen to be in Red Bank, New Jersey, looking for Amigo doll? Not exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you know. We're sort of like, uh, Springfield in the Simpsons. We've got a major airport, you know, right outside of town. We've also got, you know, uh, it's, it doesn't really work. There's no university outside of Red Bank, so so you mentioned editing, Ming. Was there anything that we didn't see come into the stash on the show that was crazy for you guys? Was there anything cut that us as fans, Aiden and myself, would like to hear about? Um, I mean, not crazy. So they would shoot, like the people bring, buy, bringing stuff to buy or sell, they would shoot twice as much as we needed for the most part every season. Uh, just because some of the people bringing stuff in, like they were not, uh, they were not that interesting. You know, some, you know, then not everyone made the cut. So, um, but, um, I, I was just thinking, it was like, we, we had 96 episodes, but then I was like, holy crap, there are actually two lost episodes out there that never aired. Um, there was oh one, God. yeah, there was oh one where there's, <laughs> so That's the right, first dude. one, the first one, they brought in this dude, his name was Dr. Sketchy. And, uh, I guess what he would do was, uh, twice a month, he would go to the local bars and bring these burlesque dancers or, or models and artists could come with sketch pads and sketch and sketch them. And, but oddly uh, enough, that's not why he was called Dr. Sketchy. <laughs> I don't know. He had a bunch of rags that smelled like chloroform. I'm not really sure. Yeah. We got those burlesque girls. We're not quite sure. <laughs> yeah. He had this whole thing where, yeah, if you were an artist, like they would put these girls in cosplay and then artists could come down and live sketch them. But um, yeah, they would go to like the local dive bars and stuff twice a week or twice a month. But there's an episode where Dr. Sketchy brought his ladies in and we and Walt was like trying to teach us how to draw. <laughs> and it just it was just weird. So it never aired. But I think if you do a Google search on like comic book and images, there's an image of me, Mike and Brian with sketch pads. And you're like, what? I don't remember that. And that's because it never aired. Yeah, it was just so bizarre and awkward. That they're like, and I think, yeah, I'm, I think Kevin ultimately saw it. And he's like, this is awful. Like you guys, yeah. you can't hear this though. Um, there was another episode where we went to a comic book shop in Delaware. Uh, it was all female run. And we were going to, and the, I guess the whole goal was like, wow, girls like comic books too. Like girls can run a store. They were supposed to be kind of our, our counterparts, um, you know, for, for our store, but they're all female. And um, yeah, but the late, I know they're really combative for, they were really combative for some reason and they're trying to be funny. They weren't really that funny. And um, yeah. And that didn't, it didn't really work out. So I think the same thing, I think like uh, Kevin saw the episode, he's like, this is, this is awful. You can't air this. So I would love to see the completed cuts for those. I never saw them. There's they're out there somewhere, but those are, yeah. So I guess uh, technically we shot like 98 episodes, I guess, but yeah, there are two that, that there are two that never aired. There's a reason um, why those two didn't air, Ming. So, yeah. Other than that, like everything else, like if it didn't air, it was probably not that exciting. Um, I think didn't somebody bring in like uh, printing plates that were drawn by Jack Kirby or something? Yes, that we actually had Will Eisner and Jack Kirby printing plates from newspaper. Uh, they they had what pretty much amounted to like the Far Side of 1936. <laughs> 
know, it's a, and it's like, hey, a chicken in every pot, you know, and then that's that's the tagline, and you're like, what? It's like, I don't get it. Yeah, <laughs> what's going on? Hey, Merkel, what do you feel about this? You know, you're like, what? What the hell's a Merkel? I have no idea. And you're you're just like, this was funny back then. Holy cripes. Yeah, these were jokes that like Grandpa Simpson would have laughed at. He was like, yeah. you know, I wore an onion on my belt, as was the style at the time. I'm like, what are you talking about? Yeah, seriously, this this is insane. And yeah, so he had like 500 of those. 500 each of Kirby and Will Eisner's. And, and he's like, yeah, I paid a grand for, you know, the whole kit caboodle. I'm like, you paid about $800 too much. I mean, as cool as they are, nobody cares. Nobody does. It's it's unfortunate, but nobody cares about that section of Jack Kirby's resume. They don't care that he he did like a you know what what is in essence like family circus for 1936. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Well, there was one that did air. If you watch the episode, a girl brings in a rom figure, like an action figure, or and um. What, what we weren't told was she was really nervous. So she drank half a handle of Tito's, I think, before she came in on the show. And we're, we're wheeling and dealing. And all of a sudden, it was we're VO, like, but yeah, go ahead. There, yeah, we're halfway through, we're like, what's that smell? She ended up pissing herself during the transaction. And like, so, so, so there's this mad scramble to get her new pants so we could complete the shot, like the whole the transaction. But yeah, we were like, we're like, what the, what happened? They're like, yeah, she kind of, she pissed herself. We're like, oh. Okay, and then we found out why. Yeah, she literally drank half like vodka, like a handle, half a handle of vodka. She was so nervous, and we were like, "Can we comment on this?" They're like, "No, not really." I'm like, "Dang it!" <laughs> and I lost the pool because I had assumed that Brian would have been the first one to piss his pants on air. So yeah, and it wasn't. It was yeah. It was a customer. It was a customer. Yeah. I mean, so. he, he felt free to let go after that, but that's fine. Yeah. So. I know you guys had the Cryptozoic Man comic book that you worked on as kind of a tie-in to the show. And I was wondering, now that you guys have your shared universe podcast studio and are getting more into that field, have you ever thought about creating a comic book uh, about podcasting? Maybe a podcast or superhero or just something about you guys? There is I, I a mean, comic book out there. Uh, it's um, It was done for a con that Ming and I were headlining. Oh, yeah. Um, it's called Mighty Men. And... It's it's actually a really sweet book. It's uh, I, I mean sweet in like not like oh sweet, but you know like, kind of it's 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 goofy and dorky and and very sweet. And it's actually written by Garrett Gunn, who is now in the mainstream. Ming, he is doing uh, an IDW book, isn't he? No, is IDW. He's uh yeah, he's got a book with a uh, Source Point Press. He's yeah, he's a he's a yeah. pretty great writer. But uh, yeah, essentially the book was about uh, me and Mike, um, you know, working at the store by day and then become superheroes at night. And the kind we were going to, yeah, the kind we were going to had had a bunch of cornfields in it, so we end up fighting mutant corn. Yeah, which is, but I like the way they drew us because we're super jacked. It was and, in um, Kansas, wasn't it? The, uh, the and it was Illinois, it was Robbinsville, Illinois. It was in Illinois. I know but we had to fly into Kansas to go to Illinois, which was weird. So something like that. Yeah, it was. Yeah, uh, yeah. but uh, yeah, that was fun. But I. I I had never thought about ma- making a comic about podcasting though. That's a great idea. I never that never even occurred to me. So, um, superhero podcasters. I yeah, I'd have to think about that one because it's kind of a stretch. You know, most pi- podcasters like us we're, we're in our bedrooms like or like and uh, you know not getting a lot of sunlight. But um, yeah, that would yeah. Um, I don't know. It's tough. People are like, hey, you ever thought about writing your own comic and you know, like we work with a guy who is like arguably one, like one of the best comedy writers out there um, who like lives, eat, eats and breathes. Like he wakes up, he smokes weed and he writes all day. Like he loves it. And um, it's intimidating being around a guy like that. Who's just like, who's so good. So, um, but yeah, uh, but now that you put it that like a podcasting comic, like, I don't think anyone's done that yet. So that's a great idea. You should have hung onto that one. <laughs> Darn. So you guys went from Comic Book Man to the world of podcasting, and you're teaching podcasting classes now. If we actually started out podcasting before, before Comic, Book, Comic Man. Book Man. Yeah. Oh, yeah, wow. Okay. Before, yeah, before it was on, uh, Ming and I, well, we were thrown into this by uh, Walt and Brian, you know, tell them Steve, Dave, 
um, you know, being the jerk offs that they are, they're like, Hey, let's watch these two jackasses crash and burn. <laughs> and we didn't. So uh, jokes on them. But if we were to take one of your podcasting classes, what kind of things do you guys teach? What kind of things would we learn? I mean, so basically like we pass, I pass, you know, we pass on everything we've learned last, uh, we started in 2011 pretty much. So, you know, last 11 years, we pass on everything we've learned the last 11 years, but it, like the goal is to teach you to pass. So you don't make the same mistakes we did over the last 10 years. Mm. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, uh, it, it's, you know, the, the, it's a lot of, um, you know, I, I pass on, you know, what, you know, why you should be doing this, um, you know, how, how to do everything, um, you know, a lot of the technical knowledge as well. But I think, uh, you know, I, I think the thing I, I love to stress is that, you know, everybody should be doing this. Um, like, I genuinely believe that, that if you can talk, you should be podcasting. Um, I think a lot of people come to us like, oh, man, oh, I, you know, I've never done this before. I'm, oh, I'm nervous. I, I do have good broad. Do I need any training? Like, I'm like, no, like you can be a bunch of knuckleheads. And I was like, have you ever, have you ever had an argument about a, a bad movie? Boom, that's a podcast. Like if you can do that with your friends, yeah. you can podcast. Like a lot of uh, what the studio, like a lot, of, a lot of the reason we started the studio was like the inane late night conversations, either at a bar or after a con or whatever. And it always pained me that like, it's like, why, why isn't anyone recording this? Like, why, why aren't I recording this? You know, like that conversation um gets lost to the ether you know because it's never be, number one but yeah just never to be heard from again i'm like man this should be recorded and uh especially the, the late the late night bar ones you know we're like oh man that was really funny probably wasn't that funny because we had a couple of jamesons but but you know who am i to say that you know let's release this to the audience maybe they'll find it funny and um yeah, so I think a lot of people, you know, the, the, a lot of the people we teach at classes do like they've they've listened to podcasts, but they've never created one. So we try to put them at, at ease and just kind of let them know that everyone can do it. Um, a lot of a lot of it is kind of based on whatever they want to know as well. So a lot of people do want to know some of the technical stuff. Uh, the other people want to learn how to prepare for for uh, before they record shows. Um, yeah, it really varies based on the individual, but. Um, yeah, I really talk a lot about how uh, when Kevin started doing this, I was like, oh, cool. You know, you're Kevin Smith, you're recording your conversations and your stories. That's awesome. But I remember he asked us to do it. And I was like, I don't want to do this. Like, I, I'm like, I'm, I'm your Ned to your Spider-Man. I'm the guy in the chair. I put your podcast on iTunes and Spotify. Like, I don't want to do this. I don't have any training. Nobody would care what I have to say. And he's like, no, 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 you're wrong. You're wrong. Like, you're, you know, whatever you're into your audience will be the people who are into your stuff as well. And um, yeah, I remember not wanting to do this at all when he asked, asked me and, and uh, yeah, I'm, and I'm glad that he talked me into it because uh, it's so much fun. It's so, yeah. And once I realized, I was like, man, everyone should be doing this. So um, yeah, that's a lot of what the classes uh, is, is based on, but I mean, mainly, yeah, we want to pass on all our knowledge so people don't make in the same mistakes we did. And to boil it down, it's also our classes are pretty much a pep talk to get you out there and just talking. Because yeah. to be honest with you, the only way to learn how to podcast is to podcast. That's it's really that simple. Yeah, I completely agree with you. In fact, uh, when I moved to Colorado nine years ago, I listened to one of Kevin's podcasts and he's also very encouraging during the podcast and saying, Hey, pick up a microphone and do this. And that's exactly what I did. I got a microphone. I put it on a cardboard box and that's where <laughs> the stupid crap started. And now I'm talking to you guys. So this the prime example of, yeah, you just, you just have to go and do it. Yeah. Exactly that. Uh, not to ruin the class at all, but what is the biggest mistake you guys think you made in podcasting? I think I wish I would have started earlier. Uh, mainly I, um, I wish I wasn't so uh, reluctant to even start. And then yeah, I, um, I think uh, I don't know, in the in the beginning. Yeah, I, I just I, maybe it wasn't. I, I don't think I was as open as I am now. You know, I'm like, dude, you can say anything. There's no rules. It's great. It took a little while. To, uh, yeah, I think and and I, I try to tell people, listen, your first five episodes are gonna suck, like because you're you're feeling out like what you want to do and, and um, your own flow. But after that, after that, you have it down. You know, like and um. um yeah. Other than that, yeah. I mean, it was that was yeah. I just really wish I would have started uh, kind of around when Kevin did in two thousand seven. Um, 
yeah, I was just really reluctant to. It's like I, I thought, I, I thought either you know, if you start a podcast, either you have experience in some kind of radio, or you're famous already. And um, once I realized that wasn't the case, um, I was like, no, you could start a podcast. Maybe the fame will come later if you're really good. But um, yeah, I think he, Kevin's always stressed like, no, you don't need any fame. All you need to tell is like one good story per episode, and you're set. I was like, oh, I can, do, I could probably do that. Did you guys ever watch Mystery Science Theater 3000? Oh, yeah. Tons of it. <laughs> okay, yeah. cool. Did you ever watch the uh, the Minneapolis years or the Minneapolis year? <clears throat> the very first season, it's, they call it the lost season. I'm pretty sure I've seen some of it, yes. It's really hard to watch. <laughs> but from there, they got big. They got huge. But you could still see, Ming's absolutely right. Your first five podcasts are going to suck. And, and they're going to suck hard. But, you know, there are flashes of brilliance in those in the, I think it's the, like the KJ, I forget what that, what the call letters are, but in the, uh, the Minneapolis years or Minnesota years, they've got that, that diamond in the rough. And you could tell that these guys were going to be big if they, they kept going and that's all you have to do. And that's part of the, the, you know, I used to censor myself all the time in my head and in what I was doing. My wife got on my case. She's like, listen, I'm listening to you and you're holding back. And that's the worst thing you can do as a podcaster is to hold back. Let your, let your nerd flag fly. Be as, as dorky as you want, because there are going to be people who respond to you. And that's when people respond to you best. And I think that's, that's the mistake I made. The biggest mistake was not being as nerdy as I really am. And I think you brought that both of you guys to the television show, because if there's one thing, when I think when I'm watching comic book men, authenticity, I know you guys are, are legit. There's no question that, you know, you're reading off a script, not even a script, but that someone had to tell you who George Perez was before, you know, you talked about it. I, I knew you guys were all legitimate. And I think that's one of the reasons why the show had the longevity and the appeal that it did is there's no doubt in our minds that we're watching real geeks, people that are like us, you know, we can smell our own, like Brody says, that's exactly what comic book men was. Well, and I think it helped too. Like I'm a lot younger. So I actually was like, eight or nine when that show started. And that actually helped teach me a lot about comic books that I had never, cause I was young, I had never learned. So comic book men actually helped me become a true nerd and got me into the convention scene. I went to my first convention because of comic book men. I started collecting comic books because of comic book men. So it really helped me find who I was. And uh, I think you guys were a huge part of that. So I really appreciate your show allowing me to find who I was. Well, damn, I I'm yeah, I've been hearing that a lot lately for a lot of like uh, people in their 20s. They're like, oh, we, I grew up watching your show. And I'm like, what do you mean you grew up? It was like, well, it, it was I was like 12 when it started. And, you know, it makes me feel a little old, I guess. But I do. I am old. I am old. But yeah, but I never it never occurred to me that there were kids watching. And now they're in their 20s. And they're like, yeah, I grew up watching it. It was it just sounded in the beginning, just sounded so weird to me. But uh, I was like, then I started thinking, like, wow, that's kind of cool, though, you know, because there were shows that me and Mike watched growing up, um, you know, like, like uh, shows like the A-Team and, um, you know, things like that. I was like, holy crap, are, you know, are we in that pantheon? Maybe not, but it's still cool wow. that, that uh, yeah, it's still cool that, that, that there, there are people who grew up watching the show. So that's, yeah, that's pretty cool. We're, hey, I, fool, I, like, our, don't be comparing yeah. yourself to Mr. T. <laughs> yeah. You know, are we role models? Not necessarily, but... Um, <laughs> But if we, you know, if we helped you, you know, maybe go to your first con or pick up your first collection of comic books, that's pretty cool. That is cool. Thank you. That makes me feel one thing. Uh, we moved the secret stash from 35 Broad Street to uh, 65 Broad Street last year. And we're coming up on our one year anniversary, not to give ourselves a plug or anything because I work those in. Um, but the one thing that's really cool is Kevin's really involved in the new stash. And he's been um, doing a lot more events because we have more space and, and it's a lot more user friendly there. So one thing that uh, I've been hearing a lot more of is how much comic book men is a generational thing, how fathers and sons get together and even grandfathers and grandsons can, can sit down and watch this 
and and connect. And we we are actually we were um, a gentleman came in and he was in the military and he said that he and a bunch of guys who had you know post traumatic stress disorder would bond over comic book men. They were they had to go to um, you know therapy on I think it was at a VA hospital and it was on a Sunday night and they get out of there at ten o'clock and they go and have a drink at a bar and for some ungodly reason, actually, no, no ungodly reason, because The Walking Dead was on. They kept, you know, AMC on, and they actually started the bond over watching comic book men. So that helped their recovery. And that, to me, blows my mind. That's, you know, not that I did anything, but the power of <laughs> nerddom. Um, just us being, you know, a bunch of, of traveling geeks and you know we we've got a specific love and it it goes like way down deep and i think that's really cool and i don't think you can fake it either and i i think that comes across to all of us aiden's generation my generation which is y'all's generation i think we're all around the same age it's not it's not fake at all and i really appreciate it just you guys always came at everything with an expert opinion can you talk a little bit about the state of the comic book industry now? Is digital kind of going to be the future? Is anything bringing people back to the brick and mortar stores more? I'm, I still go every Wednesday and pick up my comics. You're, but then you're, you're my I, I know a lot of people guy. don't. So, yeah. <laughs> I, to be honest with you, I, I've seen the numbers pick up uh, post COVID because, and even though we're, we're still in the midst of COVID, there are still people who come in because we were shut down for six months. It was six months. Uh, and people binged as much TV as they could. And they watched as much Netflix as they felt that they could stomach. And they're, they were stuck inside and they're like, what the hell am I going to do? So they went in, you know, cleaning out their closets and they find a box and they, they flip it open and Holy crap, it's their old comic book collection. And maybe they spend an afternoon rereading, you know, stuff that they read like 20 years ago. And they're like, oh my God, I forgot how that made me feel. That made me feel like I was, and it transported me someplace, someplace that was wonderful. Like, you know, my, my childhood, you know, I remember, you know, sitting on the beach, reading this actual magazine. And this was, you know, it, it, it just brought me back. And then they, they get the Jones again. And they're like, this is fantastic. And then they had to wait. And I can't wait until, you know, stores are back open. And now I got people coming in every week who that's, that happened to, you know, and I, and that, that excites me. That lets me know that comic books are still relevant. Yeah. And the, uh, I don't know if you've looked, if you see the value of key issues right now is through the roof. Um, it's, it's, it's pretty insane. Um, I've got a couple of books that I never really thought about selling, but once I, you know, that some of them like tripled in value from the last time I saw them. I'm like, should I move this? Like, I, I didn't want to, but should I, and going to cons, I see the pricing on these books. And I'm like, holy crap. When did, yeah, just um, definitely accelerated by the pandemic. I think they say collectibles were like the third biggest currency during the pandemic or even now behind like actual money and, the, and then like stocks or whatever, yeah, it was, which is insane to me. Um, and, uh, you know, so we can still rub, we can rub it in the faces of people. Like, Why are you collecting comic books, man? Or, you know, that, that, you, you know you, why, why do you have all that worthless crap lying around? Like, it ain't worthless anymore, man. Like, it never really was. But now, yeah, I think that says a lot about the industry, though, for sure. I mean, as, as far as collecting, um, that, that, you know, people are, are the, the value has skyrocketed. Uh, but I think, yeah, Mike mentioned that, yeah, back issues, like, took a huge uh, jump as well. People are trying to fill out their collections, I think. I think Mike, I think Mike said that, yeah, they, they moved a ton of back issues um, oh, yeah. during uh, while, while we were locked down. And um, yeah, I mean, digital, like I like digital if I, if it's convenient, you know, it's kind of like Netflix. If you want to read uh, a book, you don't like, if you need to read it right then you can, yeah, you can hit a button and download it. Um, but uh, I, I always go to this, this quote that Stan Lee once said, he was a, he, somebody asked him if digital comics were, were going to be the future or take over and he was like, well, what would you prefer, like boobs on a computer screen or boobs uh, in front of you in real life? 
that you can touch and hold and look at. I'm like, well, yeah, <laughs> well, well, Stan, I would prefer the latter, the, uh, the real boobs. So, and uh, I hate yeah, to tell I, Stan this, but that's kind of specious reasoning because what he's talking about is you're not getting the boobs right in front of you. It's like having a Playboy as opposed to having a digital copy of Playboy. So, I mean, eh, if you had the real boobs in front of you, that, I'm all for that. Yeah, and Mike always makes this good point. It's like, what do you want, a, a, a copy of Hulk 181 on your iPad or an actual copy of Hulk 181? I'm like, well, I would rather have the actual copy, uh, you know, a 9.8, because that's worth a ton of money, and it's a cool it it's a cool thing to have. The money aspect of it is cool, but I, I also, during the pandemic, went through my long boxes and pulled out all the issues that were going up in value. I can't bring myself to sell them, guys. Yeah, I, I, even, I don't care what it costs. It's it's an issue I bought <laughs> off the rack when I was in seventh grade or, you know, I bought 20 copies of the death of Superman when it came out and I've still got three of them left. It's just, you know, during that investment era, the X-Force number one timeline, those they're not just comics to me, they're memories for me. Of course. And I think that's yeah. the important thing. Yeah, I think that you're you hit the nail right on the head. Yeah, so uh, going off of that and collecting comics, um, is there anything that you guys used to collect that you don't collect anymore that you maybe wish you did or are happy you stopped collecting? Um, I mean, there are a lot of 80s toys. I just don't have room anymore. There are a lot of 80s toys that I was like, oh man, but like, uh, like some of them were obscure. One was, well, there was a toy line called Mask that was really, that was cool. I don't know if you guys remember that one. Oh, um, definitely. Yeah, there, there's a... Yeah, there's a line of uh, action figures with holograms built in. They're called visionaries that I was kind of into. Um, I mean, like, I never, I didn't have, like, every single, like, 80s G.I. Joe figure. Like, I would love to have every one. But, yeah, I just don't have any, yeah, I don't have any room anymore. I don't have as much room as a, yeah, and then uh, it just displaying them. Like, I've seen some of these real, like, these real hardcore G.I. Joe, like, collectors. They have a whole room. They have shelves full of them. They have built uh, special shelves. They have like tables and all that. Yeah, I just don't have that kind of room. So, um, like, yeah, I, I used to collect sports cards back in the day. Um, not really into that anymore. Just, yeah, they, I'm like, these aren't really that fun. You know, like, I collected them because I like baseball. But, uh, like, back in the early 90s, they had a, they, they it was hot because they had people were like, oh, I'm going to send my kids to college on like a Ken Griffey Jr. rookie card. And that didn't really turn out to be the case. But, upper deck. Upper deck. That's right. 89, 89 set, man. I still have it. Um, it's in my, yeah, it's in my parents' house somewhere. Um, I'm trying to think like toy wise or anything. Yeah. I, I don't know if I really collect it, Like, you know, um, if I hardcore collect anything anymore, it's just, I think when you get older, you, know, you have family, you just don't have as much space. Although I, you know, part of the reason we, we built the podcast studios is because we, so we could take all that crap and like have somewhere to put it. Um, you know, our Very wives are like, Can you get this crap out of here? I was like, all right, fine, we will. And uh, yeah, it, like put it all, all over the studio, which I think is cool. I think the people coming into podcasts get a big kick out of it. You know, like we, we try to have represent every fandom. So at least like anybody could come in. It's like, oh crap, I like Harry Potter. I like, you know, I like Marvel. I like DC. I like Star Wars. Um, yeah. So I think it's, now it's just kind of uh, looking for, you know, it's like, oh, this would look cool at the studio. I think that's what I, what I kind of collect now. It's kind of random though. I used to collect wacky packs, <laughs> like back in the day, wacky packages. And they came out with them again in like the late nineties and they didn't have the same feel as like the old ones. These were like a little bit meaner. It felt like um, where they were like, you know, going to sort of like the Simpsons, you know how the Simpsons, the first 10 seasons are the best seasons. Yeah, absolutely. And then like season 20, 20 to 30, they're like a little edgier and, you know, they're, they're a little more mean spirited because you had different writers in there. So, uh, but this was, you know, wacky packs were pretty cool. Um, what else did I used to collect? This is going to sound weird, but Nightmare Before Christmas stuff, because my my wife loves Nightmare Before Christmas. And I would every Christmas I would buy her something expensive and um, unique to that. And it just got to be too much. And then one day she's like, you know what? These are really nice, but we have kids now and they want to play with them. So let's let them play with them. 
And I also used to collect hot sauces, which I thought was kind of cool. You know, having a hot sauce, I, I make my own hot sauce these days, but back then I just liked them for the bottle. So one fandom for the rest of your life, both of you guys, if you had to only pick one, what would you take? I had Star Wars for sure. I, I mean, um, Star Wars was a thing where, um, yeah, me and my friend, you know, we watch watch the tril- the original trilogy at least once a year, with, uh, you know, uh, and um, after, you know, after 1983 when Return of the Jedi came out, yeah, we, we, we kept that going. And uh, I think, yeah, I think a lot of people forget between like 83 and, and 97, I guess, when the re-releases came out, um, no one really thought about Star Wars anymore until... Uh, like the first person who brought Star Wars back up again, in my opinion, in the mainstream was Kevin when Clerks came out. And there's that discussion about stormtroopers changing out toilets on the Death Star. And that's, I think that was part of Clerks. I was like, holy crap, he, did he just make a Star Wars reference? Like, that's, I love this guy. Cause uh, yeah, I like Star Wars was not as like a religion like it was now back in the early 90s. Um, uh, but yeah, that being said, yeah, me and my friends, yeah, we would quote the movies, we would watch the, the trilogy every year. And, you know, not knowing that, you know, stuff like Book of Boba Fett was going to come out one day or, you know, I, I mean, you say what you will about the prequels and then the, the last trilogy, you know, they, I don't think they were that great, but they've redeemed themselves definitely with like stuff like Mandalorian and Book of Boba Fett for sure. So, um, yeah, that I could watch that fandom. Yeah, I, if, if that was all that, if that, if that was all that was left, I could, yeah, I, I'd be fine. Now, now, if that's all that was left, if you only had the first three, you only had, you know, Star Wars, Empire, and uh, Jedi, you'd be a very boring person. Man. So now, now you'd be all right. But back then, you'd be screwed. And for me, it's just, it's comic books. It's DC and Marvel. Even if you, you put it down to DC and Marvel, and I couldn't have Image, I couldn't have IDW, I couldn't have Dark Horse, DC and Marvel, I could be happy. Uh, I, and, and just the comic books, you know, because I don't want just the, the movies because, again, that's, it just cuts it, you know, cuts it down too much. And my, my imagination... Uh, is limited to what the director thinks as opposed to what the comic book writer and artist think. So now, Mike, I know you unfortunately lost your collection a, a couple years back uh, when you uh, got that awesome Wonder Man Perez piece. Have you gone back to rebuild since oh, then? Oh, yeah. Okay. I've got, I'm, I'm like 90% there. And wow. You, you and you, ne- you can never, you can never fully get it back because it keeps growing because more stuff comes out. So then it keeps growing and more stuff comes out and then it keeps growing. So, but uh, what I did was I invested in um, like omnibuses and hardcovers to replace the original comics that I had. So I think that's an upgrade. Yeah. I think, yeah, in a way, I think your collection, yeah, you, it was even better now than it was. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. The, uh, yeah. The big fat omnibuses. Yeah. They look, they look cool on the shelf. Oh Yeah. And they're all at the podcast studio. So again, the wife's like, get this shit out of the house. So kind of related to that Perez piece. Uh, one of my main hobbies is autograph collecting. And I'm curious through you guys' years of going to cons and different stuff. Is there like a certain signed piece that like you cherish or hold really near and dear to you? Yeah, it was I've, weird. Um, do, you, do you have one? I was going to say besides the Perez. Yes. Okay. Yes. Actually, I've got a Captain America shield that was signed by Stan Lee. That's amazing. Wow. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, it was weird. So when we start, first started doing cons, I was like, oh, I'm not going to bug these guys for autographs. So like, I don't really, I, I would rather have a photo so I can post it on Instagram or social media or whatever. Then I was like, you know what? Maybe my kids might want these one day. You know, these guys, these people won't live forever. Uh, it would, because it would be cool wow. if, uh, you know, like, be cool if my dad was, would be like, oh, yeah, no, I met, I got a Frank Sinatra autograph once. I'd be like, what? That's cool. Yeah. So, um, uh, so yeah, if I could, yeah, I've been, I've been, I have been getting stuff signed every so often and, and at the con is no big deal. Like it's kind of a professional courtesy that if you're both guests at a con, like near the end, you know, it's, 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 it's cool to be like, Hey, would you sign this for me? And it's usually no big deal. 
Um, so I was at New York Comic Con, I think 2018, and Carrie Fisher was there and she was wrapping up. It was Sunday and I had bought a Star Wars mini poster and I was walking by and she was, she was, she was packing stuff up. And I was like, should I go over and have her sign this? I was like, oh man, I don't really want to bother her. But yeah, finally I was like, you know what the hell? If she doesn't, you know, she doesn't want to do it, no big deal. And I went over and she signed it for me. And then she died two months later. And I was like, man, I'm glad. I'm glad I asked her for that autograph. But I think that's that's one of my highlights for sure. The Carrie Fisher signed, signed a mini Star Wars poster. Um, just, you know, just she's a legend. She's a princess. She's, she's Princess Leia's. Um, and, and she, I mean, she was a funny woman too. Like she, uh, yeah, she no BS about her. She was, she was pretty. Uh, she, she was. Uh, she said whatever was on her mind. So yeah, straight I, I shooter, that, yeah, yeah. I know we unfortunately recently lost a member of the comic book band family, someone who Aiden and I love, Rob Bruce. I was going to ask you guys not only to share maybe one of your favorite memories of Rob, but also let our listeners know how can we help out the Bruce family. Um, Rob, Rob was a Rob was a definitely an interesting character. Um, it's funny that I'm I'm at a convention here. Brian O'Halloran is here. We play Dante and Clerks, and um, so I yeah I, I just saw him. I was like, oh man, Rob, that stinks. So I was like, yeah yeah. And uh, Rob, uh, a lot of people loved him. He go on social media now. You see a lot of tributes to him. Um, a lot of people, maybe just as many people, maybe disliked him. He was definitely a polarizing figure. Um, he you know he, he, big heart, but he would annoy you to death. Um, he used annoying you as a, as a negotiation tactic though, where he would just wear people down by being annoying and, and maybe get a price that he wanted and something. Yeah, it was pretty crazy, but I loved watching him use it as a, as a negotiation tactic. And, uh, you know, like he'd be at the flea market, like, Oh, there goes Rob Bruce. Like he was kind of like the, I, I don't know about a godfather, but like the guy that everybody knew at the flea market. Um, I, I, I always thought it was, I was like, wait, that guy makes a living like buying and selling toys like it, it back, you know, back when I met him, I don't know, maybe almost 20 years ago. Like that was that, that the fact that you can make a living doing that was unfathomable. And I'm like, how's he doing that? It's like, well, you know, he goes to state stills, you know, flea markets, he sells online. Um, and now at the, at the cons, you know, people come up and it's like, Oh yeah, yeah. Rob Bruce. Um, I got my, I bought, you know, I, I bought my, my, my star Wars collection from him. You know, like people around the country, maybe even around the world, like that he would seek people uh, pieces out for them. And I was like, wow, man, that's that's kind of cool. Um, yeah, I, as far as memories, um, I uh, I mean, when we shot an episode where he dressed up like the Jersey Devil in makeup and he scared the hell out of me. Like that was that was that was kind of that was kind of I, I mean, <laughs> I, he looked I, I would, he looked he looked weird without the makeup. So in the makeup, he looked even scarier. Yeah, and um, yeah, I, and Rob was kind of the guy who kind of known around Red Bank area, so he didn't really leave much except to go to local conventions. But a couple of years, uh, we traveled with him to a con in LA, uh, and I thought it was funny to, just to even watch him fly in an airplane. And you know, we kind of dragged him out to have fun with us, and like we took him to In and Out Burger and, and uh, stuff when like that. Vegan. Yeah, that was. Yeah, that was that was fun. But I mean, yeah, he was yeah, he was definitely a weird guy. Definitely like definitely polarizing. Um, but yeah, we'll miss him for sure. I know the collecting world will miss him for sure. Um, yeah. And uh, I, I mean, yeah, um, yeah, to me, him and Mike butted heads a lot. And uh, I would I, I, I would I, I loved watching it, though, man. I love watching you guys fight for sure. Because I would sit on the sidelines and laugh at you, too, because usually the arguments fairly inane. In my oh, opinion, incredibly so. stupid. Oh, they're always stupid. But you know, hey, it's my favorite memory about Rob. And this is, um, it's the same LA con. We were driving to uh, Westwood and I hear this oh, from the back seat, And I'm, I just shake my head and I said, Rob, if you're sexting with your wife, I don't want to hear about it. He's like, all right. Because he was sexting with his wife. I was like, oh, my God. Which oh. I'm like, dude. Yeah, yeah. This is a rental. <laughs> he didn't leave home much. So, yeah, I guess he really missed her. Like, we were, yeah. we were only gone for a day. Like, at that point, we were, he'd only been away from her for like 12 hours or something. Like, yeah, Rob, come on, dude. Come on. It's not. <laughs> 
Yeah, I well, I just told this story. So uh, we we got we got invited to Talking Dead that that one year, and um, after Talking Dead, uh, would would you air typically on a Sunday night? Uh, it was cool. We got to be in the audience. Mike got to get on air. He asked a question, um, which was cool. And uh, afterwards, uh, him and Rob were supposed to fly home, so the, uh, Mike had to be back at the store in the morning. But the AMC execs were there. They're like, "Hey, let us take you out to a, like a really fancy dinner at Nobu." in LA where holy shit that's like this is like freaking like this is like like they probably take like Norman Reedus and Andrew Lincoln Nobu like we're nobodies but they yeah they took us there so we had they had they ended up changing their flights to the first one out the next morning um but they didn't have hotel rooms so we ended up sharing a hotel room near the airport and I don't know why we were so cheap about this. Like we didn't all get our own rooms or not even two separate rooms. We all got one room. Um, so me and, you know, me and I couldn't know each other for a while. We, sh- we had a, we shared a bed because no one wanted to sleep with in the same bed as Rob Bruce. And I remember I was up doing something. I was watching TV, Robert, Robert falling asleep. And at some point he bolts up fully awake and just starts screaming at the top of his lungs. And um, I look over at Rob, Rob, chill the fuck out, man. What the hell? Go back to sleep. He's like, huh, huh? Oh, okay. And he went back to sleep. I'm like, he had a full on night terror. And I'm like, all right, never again. We are never splitting a room with this guy. I don't care what, what it costs. I don't care what's involved. Damn straight. We are never splitting a room with this guy. It was, it was weird. It was weird. I jumped out of the, I was like a cat. I jumped out of bed. I'm like, what the hell was that? Like, ninjas and no it was rob with the night terrors yes well i know you guys are gonna miss rob we're gonna miss rob is there any way we can help out the bruce family our listeners or there is actually a gofundme uh if you go if you go on my twitter uh at michael zapsick i did um there's a link there that you can go to for um for the bruce family or you can donate uh rob is uh, I believe they're, they're having a uh, funeral memorial service for him sometime next week. Okay. So, Yeah, or you can go on Google, just Google GoFundMe Rob Bruce. Um, it was started yeah. by his older eldest son, so it's legit. Um, yeah. And uh, yeah, and they're trying to raise like 15000 for their funeral expenses. They're pretty close. And uh, yeah, yeah, um, yeah, a lot. Uh, yeah, I, I saw Kevin made a donation. Like, it's a legit fund. So, uh, no, a lot of these GoFundMe, you, you never really know. Efficient. But, yeah. Well, I know we're at time, guys. Before we get out of here, I just want to ask you guys, is there anything you want to plug, promote, talk about, anything coming up? Uh, well, if you want to have as much fun as we just did, uh, we will jump on your podcasts at, uh, you know, whenever we're both available. Um, or if you're local, you can come podcast with us. Uh, we Good have, uh, and gorgeous, gorgeous facilities. Gorgeous, state of the art, up to date facilities, and one of the one of these facilities is located literally two blocks from Jane Sonbaugh's secret stash in the beautiful right. town of Red Bank, New Jersey. Um, it's called the Shared Universe, uh, a shareduniverse.com, at a shared universe all across social media. Uh, if you have a podcast, you definitely want to come down. You'll you'll have fun with your friends in our facility. We have free beer on tap. We have we have we have Death Wish coffee. We and you know we'll lend you any kind of advice. But it's just fun, and we re- I think we've really created a really fun environment. We're like oh man, that looks cool. I want a podcast there. If you haven't started, we'll get you up and running very quickly, very easily. And again, you're gonna have fun. We warn people that this is addicting. And, uh, and, you know, which it is. And uh, yeah, I love it. But I love like right now with us, like we, the tech, te- technology exists. You're in Colorado Springs. I'm in New Orleans. Mike's in New Jersey. And we can have a full on conversation and record a legit podcast episode. I love it. That's great, guys. And I, I can't thank you guys enough for, for doing this. And Aiden for setting this up for me. This was a Christmas present from Aiden. Oh, man. To Merry Christmas, man. Yeah, so uh, he wanted me to get to talk to a couple of my heroes, and they say always don't Aww. meet your heroes, but you guys, uh, no, no regrets whatsoever. This was absolutely wonderful. So Thank from you. the Bid Cave, today I am Eric G. Hollis with Mike Zapsik, Ming Chen, and Aiden Clark, and today we're all comic book men. Good night. Good night.